Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye. Spirit. <laughs> I mean, okay, I guess we are starting, so mm. I will do. There we go. Mine wasn't as crispy as yours. Mm -hmm. There we Less go. Less carbonation. Less carbonation. Also, Red Bull is a very different breed of substance. Mm -hmm. Anywho, how's it going? Uh, it's 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 going. Uh, the world's burning down. Yeah. Well, we're coming to you live. Well, not live. We're coming to you recording from Halloween on the day of the spooky stuff. But you know what? It's actually a lot more terrifying how the world's been turning out. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to go back to the regular spooks. Yeah, I, I do enjoy my horror films and all the wonderful horror anime that I've been watching. But at the same time, that if I look on Twitter or look anywhere else, it's far more, mm -hmm. far more devastating. But anyway, on a lighter note. Welcome back to Bound Hello. by the Scene. This Welcome. is episode 11, I think. Either 11 or 12, one of the two. I can't. It is certainly a number. It is definitely a number. We've 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 hit the above double digit milestone. Mhm. Mm and by double digit we mean above 10 episodes. Right, yeah. The place in which we have two digits. Yes, we do have two digits. I do want to do some housekeeping as usual before we continue on with this episode. Thank you all for watching and listening on all platforms. That'd be Pornhub. That'd be on YouTube. We mm. have a total of 2,400 views. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps growing. I love it. It looks great. And then on Spotify, Google podcast and apple podcast jesus like it, it people are downloading it and mm. listening to it it's great i love it it's fantastic other than that thank you all please do subscribe leave comments as you were as it may yeah we like comments so now that that's out of the way mm -hmm. and now that we've decided that we've acknowledged the burning hellscape that is the world at the moment uh -huh. and that we are talking from spoopy season mm-hmm we're talking about ritual and king today. Yeah. Something that I'm, I guess I, I partake in it in a, in a sort of way doing doing various aspects of kink, mm -hmm. I, I guess. It makes sense because everybody has a, a ebb and flow as far as kink is concerned. I'll let you take the rain on this one because this is, uh, this is still a little bit different for me for actually acknowledging it. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because like ritualization is a natural part of human behavior. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people's exposure to the concept of ritual mostly comes into place when we talk about like religion and stuff like that. But um, any habit that is set down with meaning to it is considered a ritual, right? Right. So that that's the difference between a um, between just a habit and a ritual is you brushing your teeth um every evening before you go to bed is a habit but it's not a ritual because it doesn't have any greater meaning than um Basically. you're making your teeth clean and uh transformation is a big part of any ritual and you may be transforming your teeth into something cleaner but it's it's really just a mundane tasks so when looking at it from that aspect uh basically the ritual of kink that i can i can i can kind of do as a baseline for for the, the discussion is so 
let's say we're going to an event. This is obviously B- BC before COVID. Mm-hmm. The ritual that I would partake in as far as like going to King and becoming transformative in that aspect is do- doing the getting getting dressed up, making sure all of my rope is set up in my bag and has been pre-oiled beforehand that way it doesn't cause any issues for the for whoever i'm playing Mm -hmm. making sure all my toys are nice and clean that way in that way there's there's no chance of cross-contamination all the leather that i've ever used for play has been put off to the side because obviously leather is a one person use if you are breaking skin Mm -hmm. and then going to the event showing up enjoying the evening, getting into whatever debaucherous things and getting involved in that space mm-hmm. and then adjusting my headspace accordingly. Would that be would that be a good basis for for how that is portrayed or Yeah, that is that is some of the groundwork. Um if we think of like um headspaces are a really good way to conceptualize how ritual effects are our kink life where you enter there's a process of entering a headspace and then you change perspectives like that to do something it isn't necessarily because you just want to vibe um you want to vibe that specific way for a specific reason and something changes and then you have to if you're healthy get out of the headspace and you may notice that some unhealthy people never do right right um the outline of this comes from what was formerly noted as rites of passage, but um, after noticing that behavior, it's like that's actually a big part of most ritual behavior. Is there's like um, there's a point where you stop being a part of your normal reality, and then all of the rules can be different in this space. Things change can happen here that can't normally happen, and then you go back to uh being normal and um there's a lot of things that you can apply this to like uh, going to a movie theater is an example because you get ready to go into a movie theater and then you you and 80 other psychopaths sit down in a room and stare at a wall that has pretty pictures (laughs) on it and your understanding switches from behold the illusion that these people have made and oh cool i can't believe they're going to blow up the death star that's really neat um, and then you exit that space. And if you're talking like on just like a reality level, it was like, I can't believe they blew up the Death Star. People are going to be like, hey, are you crazy? Or, oh, they must be talking about something that isn't in this reality. I can see that. I, that makes, that makes some sense uh, as far as like the conceptualization of it. Because a lot of the times when we are involved in our kink uh, whether it's in a scene or whether it's out in a dungeon or a play space there is a lot of things that do shift from being out in vanilla world Uh uh-huh a lot of the concept of in vanilla world you typically let's say grocery store for instance we'll use we'll use today as an example the concept of personal space sometimes does not exist in the vanilla world like people Mm -hmm. are going to go walk into your personal bubble whether you like it or not to go reach for that avocado that you were looking at Mm -hmm. or you're there waiting at a specific counter and this person just cuts in front of you and does this and does that well in let's say a dungeon if someone invades your personal bubble Mm -hmm. they've broken the ritual that we we have now the new rules that we've established Mm -hmm. so 
I can see that a lot. I can see how that, that concept changes. And then when we leave the play space or when we leave the scene, we revert back to a, a sense of quote unquote normalcy mm-hmm. as far as the uh, rest of the world would classify it as. Right. Um, and that normalcy is a, is a thing worth talking about because it's always relevant to the domain that you're using it in. Because you can have personal rituals and then there can be cultural rituals. Okay. Um, and both of them are normal relative to their domain. What's normal for the culture may not be normal for you. Um, right. And sometimes we can have tensions in these. Like, let's say, um, uh, tabletop role-playing is an excellent example of a uh, of a ritual space. Because, you know, you and a whole bunch of other people um, gather around a table and collectively hallucinate for six hours. And then you're everyone's upset and then you tear up some paper and then you go home and cry. Yeah, and then bitch about how the DM just is uh, definitely just like pinpointing your specific character making it so that you are the one that had died that day. Yeah, fuck him. Fuck that guy. But, um, if, um, let's say at this table, they're cult- part of their cultural ritual and the rules that surround that ritual is no phones at the table versus my ritual space at a table that I'm used to being, um, we always keep our character sheets on our phones so we never lose them. That's a- and that that can cause some static, and those rituals may not be compatible, so you're going to have to adjust in one way or the other. That, that makes sense. I know just even in play spaces alone, there's, there's different... There's- there's different requirements for mm-hmm. each of them. Like one one dungeon will never have the exact same rules as the next. One of the big one of the main ones that are it's pretty universal is the whole no phones out policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, main reason is because we all like our anonymity. Uh, some of us more so than others. Some of us need it more so than others. Mm-hmm. So the idea of bringing out your phone and taking photos of what's going on or taking video of what's going on is usually not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's some nuances now that now that we have uh, a pandemic raging through the um, Western civilization is some places are requiring mandatory masks at all the time. Right. Sounds like a good idea when you but then you realize that most people are getting naked and playing and then other bodily fluids are getting sprayed about other right. than snot and all that shit. Mm hmm. Then other places are saying, OK, you have to pass a small little verification. It's usually a temperature check. Mm hmm. Then the then you can take your mask off inside, but you you do have to sit six feet apart from other people. And then if you're going to be in a play space, the play space has been augmented to where it's now everything is six feet apart. Uh And there there's these weird weird things where each little space has their own little do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. Some spaces do allow fucking, others don't. Others will allow you to do penetrative stuff only with objects. And you have to abide by each of these, and they usually give you a sheet of exactly what you can and cannot do in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, I think conceptualizing it as a a form of a ritual is a very interesting way of like, okay, this is a this is a different way to explain it to somebody probably like me that is very cut and dry, very like, okay, this is just because the person doesn't want the person probably has a five hundred one c seven. The reason he doesn't allow fucking there is because. He doesn't want to get audited by IRS mm-hmm. for for having a sexual place. So those are those are interesting things. What other what other types of ritual behavior would you would you say are are prevalent in kink versus any other subculture? I think the ritual framing is more like a um as a structure that you can base things around. So think of it less as 
Um, here's a whole bunch of different rituals and more of like, here is a ritual template. Um, it's like a character sheet. Kind of, yeah. You can look at just about any kink relationship and fit it into that format in some way. And uh, I think a thing we're thinking about is um, normally we think of rituals as like little events that usually don't range more than a couple of hours, but it can be um, it can be a pretty wide ranging thing. Your entire college career can be a ritual because you are you have to go through the process of entering college. You enter a transformative space where your status is different, usually lesser, but definitely different than it once was. Um, because, you know, you're not a, you're not a high school student anymore. You're not a graduate. You're something in between. And when you come out of that thing, you will be changed. Um, and after participating in the ritual that works like that. So, um, conventions can work the same way. Like you enter a space, you have a bunch of transformative experiences and then you leave changed. So the concept of walking into a place and leaving inherently changed mm -hmm. is, is one of the bigger concepts. Even if the only change is that you have new experiences that you will draw on. That that makes that makes a lot more sense. I mean, we we would classify that as, or as I have classified it as, is a, a kink journey. Mm -hmm. Because we, there's always that, then if you actually go on FetLife and you go under like, what are you classifying yourself as? And there's a, there's a specific little thing right there that says evolving. Mm -hmm. And that concept of evolving and evolution is based on this journey that you explore. Because you were vanilla when you walked in. Mm -hmm. Or you thought you were kinky when you walked in. Right. And that experience, that first, that first taste of... Even just watching, not even participating, is what kept you invested, which would kept you going. It kept you pursuing whether it's the the high, what the knowledge, the the experience, the becoming famous, infamous, or just having or finding your your partner or partners mm -hmm. that you have now created a whole new experience with, and, right. that, and that will always continue regardless of if you've lost those partners, you've lost that experience, you've lost the space. Mm -hmm. uh, you will still continue to practice all of these things. Like that's that's one of the things that we've drilled into the ritual. I guess in the, in the easiest way is safe and consensual. Yeah, that is part of that ritual and the whole consent thing is something that you usually have to fight tooth and nail with vanilla people about like the mm -hmm. whole concept of like well why why is consent such a big factor because i need to know mm -hmm. these are things that make my life and the person that i'm involved with life better because they actively know that i'm actively listening for their their yes or their no mm -hmm. and changing this directly influences the rules for behaving during the ritual mm-hmm uh, that that's a very interesting way of putting it. I didn't actually think that would be that would make sense to me, mm -hmm. but it does. It, it makes a, a whole lot of sense, especially when you start breaking it down from the start of your journey to possibly the end if you decide to end, because some of those things will all inherently stick with you. Yeah, because um, I'm sure um, all of the subs out in the audience know this, but like our life is very structured by rules. And the thing about rituals is a lot of the normal rules go away, but other rules can show up. Uh, for example, um, one of my favorite rituals examples is a boxing match. Normally, you're not allowed to punch the fuck out of somebody. Normally not, you yeah. But normally, like, it is considered a victory if you get away from a fight unhurt. But if a boxing match starts... 
and instead of hitting the guy, you just leave. That is not a success for you. That is a failure. Bo both of these rules have changed because you're in the ritual space. And then after the match, you re-enter the regular world in which you can't just, like, meet that dude at a bar later and hit him in the goddamn face. Yeah, that, that nudity rules apply. You'd get arrested. Mm -hmm. Possibly get several different assault charges. Right, yeah. Especially if you're a trained boxer. Yeah, that... that. So, our, so our rules and our norms have all changed. Um... There might even be a level of, like, code switching as you enter ritual space. Like, we talk differently in kinky spaces than we do in regular spaces. I can see that. A lot of the vernacular does change. A lot of... So, there's another thing that's really interesting about that concept is mm -hmm. the... Is how you would dress certain people that you respect. Because mm -hmm. usually, if you're if you're from the South, usually you say, sir or ma'am. Mm -hmm. right? that, that's a big thing, naturally. But there's this this is idea where if someone is an MS dynamic, mm -hmm. master slave, however you will, I, you, I think most people by now know what MS means. Mesothelioma. Mesothelioma. Call now and <laughs> you may be entitled to some money. <laughs> God, I can't remember those. I just, I'm surprised I remember those commercials. Mm. Oh, no. They never leave your head. No, they don't. Head like on. Apply directly to the head. Head on. <laughs> the forehead. The forehead. But um, there are certain interesting dynamics that you, that some people adamantly want others to respect. Mm -hmm. Like it, it it goes back to like the respecting the vanilla space when you're you just come from like a kink, a, a kink party where you're you're trying not to like freak people out of the fact that you are wearing kitty ears, a collar, and a butt plug. Uh -huh. You're trying to be as like non your nondescript as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, at least to like save save some face for them because sometimes that is an embarrassing, embarrassing situation to deal with out in the public world. But if you go into the kink space, the concept of like you addressing the person that's the master first versus the sub mm -hmm. to respect their dynamic. Right. That is something you typically do not do in the vanilla world mm -hmm. at all. Right. Um, unless there's, I can't remember when you would do that. Maybe in like political dinners, but mm -hmm. we ain't talking about politics today. I think that's an interesting concept. I mean, because once you remove yourself from the, the kinky space, mm -hmm. that's gone. You don't know their dynamic outside of the kink space mm -hmm. unless it's a 24-7 thing. Yeah. But even then, you wouldn't know And then this. we start entering subcultural rules where the ritual that happened, what what happened in it was that your status changed from regular person to slave all the time. And the entire point is to rub up against everyday dynamic. But uh, you, you performing by those different rules isn't necessarily ritual anymore because it's part of your everyday. But um, that functions in the same way that I will act differently after I graduate from college than I did during it because I've gone from being someone who isn't an expert to someone who is. The mental headspace would change. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, that's how probably how it how it shifted for me when I was doing rope. When I first started learning to, well, beginning learning to now investing time and more money mm -hmm. that where I can, I can be slightly critical of certain people that are just either at my level or claiming to be a little bit higher yeah and that's that's the entire point of the uh the original model for this which is the rites of passage model um because you entered a ritual space you your status changed and then um 
in places where we have institutions for this kind of thing, it would be culturally acknowledged. Um, we don't really have an institution like a social size institution for kink or rope. So it has to be a like a, so, a cultural one where it's enforced by merit rather than I have a certificate. Yeah. And even even if there was an institution that we can claim like well actually technically there kind of is if you ever if you ever go and learn like go and learn under say like kanoko mm. or yeah you could get a, a, a what's it called a tokyo cultural arts cert i think i believe so yeah. like i, I think I, I, is it tokyo yeah it's tokyo but like it but that's with hajime like mm -hmm. if you go through like naka akira mm -hmm. he if 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 he actually takes you under his wing and teaches you you you, be, you get elevated to a different status because you are now his deshi mm -hmm. which is someone that can speak for him and right. teach his things like you have his blessing mm -hmm. and that's a big thing in the rope in the rope community is to get one of these people's blessings right um and that's an interest that, that whole concept is an interesting interesting ritual because then you're living with him you're working with him. You're learning the language. Mm -hmm. Like your entire mental headspace is going to change after yeah. you've gotten that. Like, okay, you are now approved to be a deshi. And so. that uh, that wild space is the um, is kind of the most important part of a ritual. Is that you have entered a space where all the rules are different now, and you are going to change as a person. That's a very that's a very astute way of putting it. Mm -hmm. I like it. But well, I, I went into debt for it. So I mean. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, that is definitely a, a way to enforce that change is going into debt for something. Mm -hmm. um, is there any other um, aspects that involve, I guess, besmirching that, I, that concept of ritualization? Because a lot of people get into it and don't think... They don't. They don't think too critically on the subject. They mm -hmm. think they, they're like me. They get involved because there's something that's a little bit different. And they try to find the words. They try to find the space. Because like, mm -hmm. some people do get into this and they do fall, not fall, they follow a different path. Like everybody will have a diverging path in kink. Like mine is more straightened. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say straight, but on a very particular path. It, it goes forward. It goes <laughs> forward. Um. So you're asking if people don't necessarily like have these transitions or uh what what's the question if they don't have these transitions if they just focus strictly on indeed would you consider that still part of the ritual i would because um the way i understand ritual it functions um underneath the hood of things like it's happening whether or not you acknowledge it um like a a tendency of human behavior rather than um just a philosophy so I, I think all the mechanisms are still taking place, whether or not you acknowledge it. It's just a matter of um, you can have more control over your experience and more understanding of it if you have ways to frame it. And ritual is one of my favorite ways to frame it. And it seems to, to back up. Like it's really easy to break things down in those terms. That makes sense. I mean, the world will continue to spin whether or not we have this conversation. Mm -hmm. the, the things going on in the background will always happen regardless of this conversation, regardless of who knows it is going on. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And um, like this is using... Um, I learned most of what I know about ritual through my cultural anthropology training and school. 
but my ways of verifying it and looking for examples come from a lot of qualitative psych work and a little bit of quantitative. It's like you see how many times you can find the pattern. And if you can start to find the pattern without looking for it, then you're probably onto something. Um, you might not be onto what you think you're onto, but you are onto something. And knowing that you're onto something, whether or not it's correct in your head or not, is part of the step. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why you verify it with other people. Because if I came out with all of this and you were like, I've never seen that happen anywhere and it's stupid, then I would have I would have stuff to think about, right? Right. I mean, that, 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 that that's peer review 101. Good old peer review. I enjoy peer review. It helps me keep myself in I don't trust anything that isn't peer reviewed. That makes... That make that would make the world a lot easier if people mm -hmm. were continuously thinking like well, that. Well, look, if you're about to spend $400 on something, you're going to go to the Amazon reviews and look at what people have said about it. Or browse YouTube for the next like five hours to figure out exactly how this is supposed to be as good as people say it is for what you need. Mm -hmm. um, a good case in point is like there there's an interesting topic of conversation when it comes to if it's going to be good for you or not. Mm -hmm. Um any type of learning and kink. Mm -hmm. It's inherently going to be good for you. You will learn different idiosyncrasies that you've probably had and they've just flourished or anything of the sort. Mm -hmm. But I think learning rope is really one of those things that has brought out this really interesting, like inquisitive, like, okay, is this how we're supposed to do it? Or is this the reason you're doing this because it's working for you? Mm -hmm. um, I like it. I like peer review. I like questioning everything about that, which is why I'm, yeah, rope and physics come hand in hand, which means to, there are more avenues for peer review because you can like see somebody's philosophy. You can maybe get on their psychological level to see that they're doing this to affect the uh, the bottom in a certain way, or you can you know review from an artistic standpoint where you're like, this is really pretty, and that's why they're doing it. Or you can be like, that looks bad, but it's an engineering thing, so I'll deal with it. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a lot of interesting discussions to be had about ritualiz ritualization and king because mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't change it it does change mm -hmm. a lot now that I'm thinking about it because there's it goes back to the whole like one of the local dungeons that used to be open here versus like this other more I I guess it would be more like higher energy mm -hmm. place um is an is an easier way to put it is like these two different spaces had two different ideologies when it came to how kink should be uh -huh. one of them focused on a learning experience the other one was this bacchanalia type thing where it's just debauchery they had a red room quote unquote where you go in the back and like have an orgy or something uh -huh. um and these two different spaces had way different rules and mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to look and I wonder if that is specific to people because usually whenever we go into spaces, mm -hmm. we acknowledge that it's for the space. Mm -hmm. But how much of an influence does the per people owning it influence that space? Yeah, you've got a level of resonance between um, your headspace and the headspace that you're entering. Because unless you, even if you do own the space, it's probably not going to be 100% um, uh, what's the word? Um, synchronized to what you want. Because even if you own a space, you have to have people that run it and they're going to influence in a way. And you'll we'll put up with differences, but for the most part, um, you're going to try and influence it towards your personalized space the most. And um, 
I like to think of headspace as kind of like um, between people, like the differences between like our DNA and chimpanzee DNA, right? Um, they're very close, but like some of the smallest differences can create huge disparities and effects. Yeah. I mean, what is it? We're 95, 95% almost on par with chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. And we're about 86% with a fucking fruit fly. Yeah. So there are interesting changes to be to be had with that. Like if, if one small tweak, we would have been a larva, mm-hmm. which is an interesting concept. But in a similar way, if I'm if I say I want you to come over to my house and join me in the ritual of playing the video game, and you're like, ah, yes, the video game, one of hundreds of human activities. I know I like that one, and you show up and like we're playing. I I want to play Crash Bandicoot, and you want to play Assassin's Creed. Um, that small disparity of details creates a huge difference. It does. So that's why negotiation and um, getting good information on whoever you're dealing with or even just talking to them before you have a scene with them can be so important. And why, like, um, authority can be important. Authority is an important part of rituals, too, because it's who enforces the rules. So if there's somebody that has authority and both of you trust them, if we both go to a... um, um a hajime kanoko um exhibition um because we're sourced from the same authority we're probably going to have more in common as far as headspaces go yeah probably not definitely there anything is probable when it comes to like sharing a similar headspace because it does happen you get you i believe it's um a type of osmosis because um you see that a lot when you're doing like intensives where it's three days long and you're stuck with the same people for three mm-hmm. days. You all start thinking the same. You all start getting tired around the same time. It becomes this little interesting like um, it just everything starts being like a collective when it comes mm-hmm. to that space. It's a now that I'm thinking about it. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a, another powerful thing about rituals is that everybody involved in the same one starts to um um like form a form a bond with each other um not unlike trauma bonding but um but you and those people will start to see each other differently than you otherwise would have because you're going through the experience together um and if you want to see how this works um take like a group of three friends to a convention with you uh when we're post virus and see how your relationship with them changes you will most likely trust those people more. Um, one thing that I know that I do is if I do intensive work with anybody, it definitely happens to me. Because you're, when you enter a ritual space, your status changing is almost always a thing that happens. Like when you enter convention space, you go from person off the street to receptive customer and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. You're a customer or a potential partner. People will see you differently because you're in the space. And because that change is affecting everybody at the same time, there's a form of camaraderie that comes from it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the conventions that I've been to, usually the first day you will kind of be still be standoffish. Mm-hmm. Everybody is going to be standoffish because everybody doesn't know anybody. Right. And you you see the clicks start that form because people have already known each other. Mm-hmm. People get involved with each other already ahead of time and they know who they are dealing with. Right. Then all these newer people start intermingling. Everybody starts going to similar classes. Everybody starts learning similar things. 
they start practicing together they start getting involved with each other mm -hmm. that breaking it down like that makes a lot more sense mm -hmm. as opposed to this simple black and white concept of like okay cool. people like the same things so they'll ne inherently get along mm -hmm. as opposed to there is there's actually a lot of psychology behind this there's an actual there's a reason why it it's being called ritualistic mm -hmm. and it is not inherently a bad thing because again as you mentioned before when we hear the term ritualistic religion comes into play yeah because as someone that was raised catholic for the majority of his life and then broke away from it that concept of ritual is you is now can was canonically a bad term for me mm -hmm. so that makes a lot more sense yeah and the um the brother to ritual is um symbols like symbols and rituals inherently go hand in hand uh, because if we're talking about rituals as a place where meaning is made and meaning can be changed where it's the meaning of your status or your experiences um symbols get to act as like external meaning and they will always represent something and they compress a whole bunch of different things down into one thing that would be for bdsm would be the triskelion well, a symbol can be a lot of things. Like one big symbol, I think, in a convention setting is the stage. Mm. Okay. The stage is going to be a dominant symbol of um, this is where you look. This is where the intention goes. If somebody's on the stage, they are different. Um, and you pay attention to them. Being able to be on the stage without the sound crew or the stage manager chasing you off is a sign that you are important. So we have, um, within this ritual bubble we have, we've got dynamics at play here. Or it may be, a, may be something like, um, if you see somebody carrying a jute rope at one of these things, just like as a fashion accessory, um, seeing that rope means more than just they possess a rope. Um, it probably means they're trained in it, and there's all of the associations with being um, a rope practitioner that come with that. So all of that gets compressed down into the rope symbol. Yeah, I I can definitely have, say that I've made that assumption a couple of times on seeing somebody in rope gauntlets made out mm. of jute as opposed to made out of like nylon. Because nylon, everybody practices on one, or they usually, they typically get it the first time when uh -huh. they're learning, and then they eventually like find that symbolism of why we use jute mm -hmm. and then it inherently becomes ingrained into them and they start using jute they start using this they start using, or they find something in between mm -hmm. and that that makes a lot of sense and then we get into stuff where um your symbols can start to form a language of sort like with people who uh leather leather families for example yep what they wear is important and it's, how they get it is important mm -hmm. too now okay yeah because there there is a there I can tell you with most certainty there is a ritual aspect of how you acquire the le leather in a leather family. Yeah, and all of that history also gets compressed into that specific symbol. Um, and another thing about symbols is that they, they're inherently primed for discussion because uh, symbols are what you would call, uh, they've got a, a factor called being multivocal, which means they mean multiple things to multiple people. Um, an American flag can mean very different things to different people, even though it's the same symbol. Um, so you can come together over that. It's one of like kind of why I like meeting rope people because their experiences are not the same as mine. 
so I want to see what those differences are and see if I'm missing something. That makes sense. That 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 stands. I I can see that, which is why I have a lot more rigor friends than I have a lot more say spankos for that matter, mm-hmm. or even uh, even le- leather individuals. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of poly friends though, so that, that that's very telling about my life. <laughs> yeah. So if uh, if ritual spaces create this area where all the rules are changed, then the way to direct those rules are going to be whatever dominant symbols are present in the um, in the ritual. Okay. I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Has it changed my mind on a lot of things? Probably. Mm-hmm. Will it inherently stick? Yeah, definitely. Because it's an interesting way to conceptualize a lot of the stuff that we do as far as kink. Because mm-hmm. it removes the, the straightforward aspect of like, or I guess, not the straightforward aspect, more along the lines of how the outside views us as just hedonistic monsters that like to do all the debauchery stuff for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, or the reason is that we're broken. Um, this This concept actually allows a lot more introspection yeah as far as like how you will deal with the space how you will deal with your own friends Mm -hmm. and how that has changed and warped who you are to transform you into the person you are now right um and it can also be used as like um it's a skill and like the primary skill is this is a method method of analyzing behaviors both the what's and the why's so why would somebody wear that why would somebody go about doing something like that what are they doing um and then you can use it to plan around you're like if i'm having a kinky event and i know that getting into the headspace is an important thing then uh let's say i'm hosting it at a house right right um the smoking area is going to be in front of the area that you come into where you see people in a casual mode and the first room is going to be a non-kink room um, for people to meet up and negotiate and talk about whatever they want to and get into the headspace. And then the rest of the house would be the place for all the play. If, so if I know that transition needs to occur in a ritual space, I will make space for it. That's exactly how, before COVID, we did it at the house. It was, as soon as you walk in, there. if you look to the right, the, the, the area, or I guess the foyer, is the easiest way to kind of like interpret that area or the mm-hmm. other living living quarters the foyer foyer i like that word my receiving parlor my <laughs> den um well no it's not a den because there's not a divot in the ground um is is now walled off bring by... back the 70s fuck pits <laughs> translation the den room mm-hmm. which is now that i think about it <laughs> i grew up in a house that actually had a den yeah Damn, I could have gotten away with a lot of shit if I was older. Anywho, mm-hmm. um, so the way that the house is usually set up is that on the right-hand side where there's a living quarters, it's now walled off, mm-hmm. and that has a St. Andrew's cross in it. Mm-hmm. So that's walled off because in order for you to get to that, you need to start walking further into the house mm-hmm. and go past the the main living area where everybody is like gathering and meeting in the kitchen, near the bar, um, at the on the couches where most play is not allowed because this is the communal area. This right. is where people are going to start unwinding from the fact that it may be their first time or this may be a new space that they've mm-hmm. never entered and they need to understand the rules and the regulations and all that. And then the back is the smoking area. Mm-hmm. And then upstairs is the other play area. And that, that separates it. That's, that's separating everything to allow that to happen naturally mm-hmm. now makes a lot of, uh, now makes sense in that regard as opposed to, okay, 
as a as an event planner you want everybody to co congregate here and then branch off when they feel comfortable yeah and it's also a matter of what if somebody needs to exit their ritual space very quickly um you need to have things in place for that because their their exit for the ritual is not going to be the same as anybody else's like if somebody um has a bad scene and they need to get away from the person they were playing with just long enough for them to cool down you want to have methods in place for that yeah because for them to be healthy they need to get away from that place um a good example a non-kinky space of this is people with um ptsd you know they transitioned into going from recruit to veteran a bad thing happened and they exited the space differently they exited the war zone but because the right exit mechanisms weren't there because the va is super fucking underfunded and we treat our veterans like shit yeah. um they don't get to exit the battlefield their ritual never ends and they will have a harder time ascertaining their identity because they never left the place where their identity was in flux. We can call them a veteran all we want, but if they're not actually taken out of the process, then that pain is still going to be there. As opposed to if they had been removed from the ritualistic space a, 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 a safe and sound manner, mm -hmm. then they would have been, then the classification of veteran would be done because they're out of it, mm -hmm. as opposed to still being in it. That makes sense. Man. My, my way of thinking has just been like, okay, cool. This is now something I'm going to be looking for when when all of these places start opening back up safely mm -hmm. when there is no virus. Yeah. It's the, the practice of analysis, which I feel is super important. I'm already overly analytical when it comes to like kink. But this is a different way to be mm -hmm. analytical about it, which is an interesting concept. Yeah, I feel like you're really analytical about technique. And you're very critical of, um, like, authoritative behavior. Yeah. Which are both very good areas to specialize in. But there's there's always more to know. Always. The only time I'll stop learning is when I'm six feet under. And hopefully that is soon. Mm. I think that wraps it up for this. I This was this was actually a very, very good, mm -hmm. good discussion. I enjoyed that. That was a lot more concise than I was what I was picturing in my head because I was like wait are we going to talk about the fact that some people like are are religious in kink because that also is a thing mm -hmm. which is a def definitely a, an interesting conversation to be had later on yeah we can get into that that's a, that's going to be a very fun one so if that's everything thank you all for listening on the well it won't be the spooky season when this airs but we are recording from spooky season mm -hmm. so do all the things like subscribe comment please comment i would love to see any questions comments or concerns in regards to what our discussions have been going mm -hmm. on because i see you all you're watching i do i have the analytics all the time but with that being said i don't see you i mean i don't want to look at you <laughs> follow us on twitter instagram subscribe to the podcast on google spotify apple um definitely find us on Pornhub. And who knows? I may have a Patreon for us sometime Ooh. soon. Yeah, I know. The the fact that I completely forgot that this entire thing actually eventually would cost us money. Right. Um that that completely missed like my brain. Uh-huh. Which is 
stupid of me. Mm-hmm. But again, I didn't think this would get this far. Right. I thought this was just going to be a really interesting random little hobby. But with the amount of with the amount of resources that have been put into everything, it's like okay, maybe this is time to start. Time to pay for this shit. Time to pay for this stuff. But anyway, as always, Avi Design or Wajane. Catch you next time. Bye. Peace. Really?